0: live to give podcast sunday sermons where each week you get to hear the message preached at faith church in lansing michigan we hope you enjoy this week's message It is good to be with all of you who are here present with us at Faith Church, as well as all of you who are with us online through our live stream or whoever's watching later in the week. We're just glad to have all of you with us. As we get started this morning, I'm actually going to start a little bit different than what I had planned. Uh, Just before our 9 a.m. service, I had somebody come up and make me aware of something that uh, was in the USA Today, I believe, this morning that some of you may or may not have heard about. but uh, There was a group of 17 missionaries that were in Haiti. And uh, they were kidnapped yesterday from a gang that was in Haiti, included in that group of missionaries who were there building an orphanage were children and teens. And uh, so just to be clear, this is not a group we know. We're not connected with any of them. We don't know the organization. However, these are brothers and sisters in Christ. And so I just wanted us to begin today with just taking a moment to just lift them up. To pray for them, to pray for their safety, to pray for their well-being, to pray for their protection, to pray they would return home. And then I want you to hear this and I want you to understand and to know my heart because it's one of the things I think we have to do a better job of uh, in America especially. Um, We're going to, when I pray in a moment, I'm going to pray for the kidnappers as well. Because sometimes we do a, a really good job of judging evil and not understanding where evil comes from. The evil one, Satan, is the creator of all the evil. It is him that is instigating this, and even the kidnappers need Jesus. And so we're going to pray for them too, as I believe the Holy Spirit can be working on them and in their hearts even in this moment. And, um, and so we're going to pray, and I just invite you to join me uh, as we start this way. Heavenly Father... I come to you right now, Lord, and I lift up those missionaries that are there. A group of people that went over to Haiti to build an orphanage. Lord, they did it in your name to serve people in the name of Jesus, that they would know that they are loved by a Savior. And so, Lord, I thank you for their service. I thank you for what they were over there to do. And, Lord, right now, as they they are who knows where right now. Who knows all of what's taking place, Lord. I pray that your hand of protection would be upon them. Lord, I pray that you would be looking after them. Lord, I know that you know exactly where they're at. You know exactly what's going on. May you protect their hearts. May you protect them physically, God. I pray and I lift up those children and those teens especially. Father, for the adults that are there, give them wisdom. Give them discernment. Help them to know how to be the adults and how to protect and and how to love. Father, for the kidnappers, we lift them up to you too. Father, I believe that your Holy Spirit can speak to their hearts right now. I believe that your Holy Spirit can be convicting them right this moment about what they've done and what they're doing. And in the name of Jesus, we come against that. We believe those are people who you love. You created them in your image. And God, I pray that as they are with a group of missionaries who love Jesus, that those missionaries might begin to to be Jesus to those kidnappers may they be shocked and amazed at how they're treated Father give somebody in that group some boldness to be able to present Jesus to that group Father above all else we pray that somehow your name would be glorified that people would come to know you Lord and I uh, I lift up Haiti to you Father you know they've been through a ton recently the earthquakes and all that's going on and just how economically devastated that country already is But Father, we see you at work there. I pray that the churches there would continue to be the epicenter of that recovery, loving on the people in their communities, serving them in Jesus' name. Father, we ask all this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. So that was not the way that I planned to start. So it's going to feel like a sharp left turn here, all right? Because the very first word in my sermon was congratulations. And so that feels awkward now. Um, but we're going to still start this way because uh, it's kind of fun. So here's what I want you to do is, is I want to say congratulations to all of you. Uh, you are not going to believe this. Go ahead and turn to your neighbor give them a high five. Tell them congratulations too. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Get excited. Get excited. You know why? You know why you're excited? Here you go. Of all the Sundays that you could choose to come to church, you're here on this Sunday. We're talking about Monday. Yeah. Woo. And I know that right now you guys are all like, oh, praise Jesus. Yes, yeah, so I was. Some of you were hoping for this, and I just—I want you to settle down because. Because it's going to be exciting, but maybe I just don't want to lower your expectations. So now, now, now before we even dive into talking money, resources, finances, let me begin with a little bit disclaimer here. If you are here and you're spiritually unresolved, if you're here and you have not decided that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, you're not a follower of Jesus, then let me be clear as we dive into this. This message is not aimed at you. Alright, this is, this is not necessarily, I think the Holy Spirit can still use it for you, which I'll talk about in a minute, but I want you to understand that as we talk about what the expectations of God are, if you don't believe in God and aren't following him, then that's not for you and that's okay, alright? However, I will say if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, it's a great message for you to get to hear to see what is God's heart towards resources and finances and what does that mean? What's his expectation? It's a great chance for you to learn. If you're here and you're not a Jesus follower, you're probably here because you want to understand God. And so this is a great chance for you to begin to do that. Now, for those of us that are Jesus followers, those of us that have proclaimed the name of Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, this is for us, right? This is what God's expectations are for us when it comes to finances and to resources. And and so I want to challenge you all to listen in and and to, to be moved by the Holy Spirit because today we're going to find out just how much is God really Lord of your life? Or are there places, are there things that you hold back and go, well, except for that? So... Uh, we have this fence up here, and last week we began this series and we talked about that God has a fence of His favor, that He has set up some guidelines for us, and especially economically speaking, some guidelines. And if you follow those guidelines, you're within His favor. And so we established and we said, on one side of the fence is God's favor, on the other side is not His favor. On one side is feast, on the other side is famine. On one side is blessings, on the other side is not blessings. And, and so today, what I want to talk about is three decisions that we all have to to make that determine where we are in relation to this fence of God's favor. And the first decision that we have to make is simply this. We have to decide who has ownership of my resources. Who has ownership of my resources? Reader's Digest some time ago had this true story in it. We're told the story of a lady who was at the airport. She was traveling for work and uh, she was hungry. And she knew she had a little bit of a wait before her plane would leave. So she stopped at one of the little airport stores and bought herself a little bag of tiny cookies. And she thought, that will hold me over until it's time for my flight to leave. She sits down, gets out her book, and she begins to read. And as she's reading her book, she suddenly hears hears this rustling noise. And she looks to her right, and she is shocked to see this very neatly dressed man, but he has opened up her cookies and has helped himself to one of them. (laughs) She doesn't like conflicts. she doesn't know how to respond to it, so she decides the best response is to reach in and take one herself in hopes that he'll realize his mistake and leave her cookies alone. So she reaches in and she eats one of her cookies, goes back to her book. A few moments later, she hears the rustling sound again, and this man is back at it. He's eating another one of her cookies. Again, she's frustrated, but again, not wanting any conflict, she simply reaches in and takes one herself as well. This would continue for several minutes, the two of them going back and forth, until there was just one cookie left. At that point, the man broke the cookie in half, slid half over to her, ate the other half, and he got up and he left. (laughs) Several minutes later, she was still frustrated, flabbergasted, and if she's being honest, quite upset and angry with this man. Finally, she got the call from the the overhead that her flight was ready to go and it was time for her to get in line to board the plane. As she got in line to board the plane, she opened up her bag to get her ticket to get on the plane and as she did, she saw her bag of cookies. Oh, there it is. There it is. You see, not only was he not eating her cookies, she was eating his cookies. So here's the key. How you handle the cookies depends a lot on whose you think they are. The same is true of our finances and resources. How we handle our finances depends a lot on whose we think they are. Psalm 24 verse 1 says this. It says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. See, anytime when a church is going to talk about giving, what tends to happen is a lot of us are like, well, where I'm at with giving, <laughs> let's not start with you. Instead of starting with you, instead of starting with me, let's start with God. And let's start with what he tells us in Scripture. Let's start with what he says. Psalm 24, 1, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. It's all God's. It's all his. And you need to understand, God has not given up ownership of his resources, but rather he has merely given you and I stewardship of his resources and only for time. See, God says, I own all of this, but out of love for you, out of care for you, I have a desire for you to be protected. He says, I have given you what you have. I have blessed you with the resources that you have, but they're still his resources. Now, the problem is is that as soon as we hear that we might have to give something, as soon as we hear we might have to give a portion of what we have, a portion of our resources, the way that we tend to respond is with the word mine, (laughs) mine, mine. I think of if you've ever, anybody here seen the movie Finding Nemo? You remember this scene? Yeah. Like that's what it makes me think of immediately. Like we're like, like as soon as I said we're talking about giving today and you guys all laughed, you went mine, mine. Mine. Like, that's where you're like, you didn't say it out loud, but that's where your head went. (laughs) This reminds me of a time that our family went to the theater together. And before the movie, we did what you always do is that you buy candy to watch the movie because you can't watch a movie in the movie theater without movie theater candy. It just tastes better. I don't know why it's just different, but it, it does. And so we bought candy as a family. And we're all sitting down to watch the movie, and we're all eating our candy as the movie's going on, and one of my kids uh, is sitting next to me, and and they wanted the candy that I had. And being the exceptional father that I am, I shared, because that's what you do, right? And so I shared my candy. A few minutes later, I thought, well, I would like to try their candy, because they had Reese's Pieces, which is peanut butter chocolatey goodness. And so I asked for some of their candy. To my surprise, they refused. (laughs) Now, at first I laughed, I thought they were joking, I thought they were kidding, but then I quickly learned they were not kidding. Throughout the whole movie, they refused to share their candy with me. Now, when this happened, several things went through my head. My first thought was this I thought, I provided the candy. <laughs> I am the source of the candy. You don't mess with the source, right? Like, <laughs> like you don't, you don't do that. The, the second thing that I thought was, I was like, you know what? I don't need the candy. Like, I asked for because I want to try it and have some of it, but I don't need the candy. Like, I'm not a man of great means, but if I wanted to, I could go buy enough Reese's Pieces to fill up a bathtub and take a bath in Reese's Pieces, right? Like Scrooge McDuck style, you know? Like, like I could do that with Reese's Pieces. I mean, his is with money. Mine is with the peanut butter, chocolatey goodness. It's almost the same. But, like, I don't have a ton, but I can bathe with Reese's Pieces if I want. <laughs> now, my next thought wasn't the nicest, but it occurred to me. I was like, I could take the candy away. And I could make sure that that child never sees candy again <laughs> until they're 18 and can buy their own, right? Like, like I, I, could, I could do that. Now, sometime later when I cooled down, I also had this thought that I was like, I need to pay attention the next time we go to the theater to see how they handle the candy situation. Because here's the thing, how my child chooses to share or not share with me actually defines our relationship. And if every time we go, there's this unwillingness to share, then there's been a break. There's an issue. There's a problem. And I need to understand what caused it and what's going on. Now, here's the thing. Those same thoughts is kind of the same with God when it comes to our resources, when it comes to our finances. For example, God provides the resources, right? Like that's his blessing to us. What we have comes from him because the earth and everything in it is all his. So he provides the resources, And he doesn't need the resources, right? If he has all of it, he doesn't need the resources, right? He could fill his bathtub with money, all right? Like, I can't do that. But he can. Like, like he doesn't need the resources. Third, God could take the resources away. He can do that. And then finally, the fourth thing we got to understand is simply this. How we give or don't give defines our relationship with God. How we give or don't give. Defines our relationship with God. Now, listen, usually these first three are pretty easy for a person of faith, a person who's following Jesus and has been for any time. These first three are pretty easy. We're all like, Yeah, we get it. Yep, we know God provides the resources, we know that He doesn't need them, we know He could take them away. He's God. That's not hard. It's when we get to this fourth one that pushes us, that challenges us. Because the idea that how we give or don't give defines our relationship with God, what that does is that, that forces us into to, to asking the question, what is more important in my life, my wallet or God? And that's uncomfortable. We don't like to be asked that. We don't like to have to answer that. We don't like that. Matthew chapter 6, verse 24 says, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. He says you cannot serve two masters. You either love the one and hate the other or vice versa. In other words, you can't love money and love God. If you love money, you hate God. If you love God, you should hate money. Now, hate money doesn't mean that you don't use money. It just means it's not your passion. It's not what you pursue. It's not what's most important to you. Now, what's interesting to me about what Jesus is saying here, because this is Jesus speaking, is, is if he says you cannot serve two masters, I would have thought that he would say you cannot serve both God and the devil, right? Like, that's what I thought he would say. You cannot serve with God and Satan, except for Jesus understands something about us and about this world, a reality. He understands that most people are not trying to decide whether to love Jesus or love Satan, (laughs) right? There might be some, maybe there's a few that are like, oh man, I'm so close to one or the other and I can't decide. But most, most people aren't trying to decide between that. But a lot of us still haven't decided whether we're gonna love God or love our money. And this is why Jesus says you cannot Serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and money. So, if we establish that God has ownership of the resources, that He owns it all, the earth and everything in it is His, then the next question if He's just giving me stewardship of it, what am I supposed to do with my stewardship? In in other words, how much will I return to God? How much am I supposed to give back to God? And to answer this question, let me share a story again. And if you've been at Faith Church very long and you've heard us talk about money, I always tell this story. It's one of my favorite stories to tell. I love it. Uh, There's two men. I don't know why I did three, but there's just two. There it is. There's two. I almost took down the wrong fingers and then I was like, whoa, careful. So, yeah. So there's two men and uh, they're shipwrecked on an island. All right? And they have no way off the island. And the first man is just pacing back and forth, mumbling to himself. He's all freaked out. He's all upset. He's like, we're never going to get out of here. We're never going to be saved. I can't happened. What are we going to do? And the second guy is just chill. The second guy is calm as can be. Which the first guy is like, that's kind of sus. What's he thinking? What's going on? Right? Yeah, you like that? I said sus. Yeah. I got, I got my, my, my 11-year-old over here. And he was like, sus. Dad, you can't say that. Um, so anyways, so, so the first guy's like, what is wrong with the second? Because the second guy's just chilling and he's like, he's like laying out. He's like getting a tan. And so finally he's like, what are you doing? Like, do you understand? We are shipwrecked. There's no way off this island. And the guy says, "No, nah, don't worry, man. I make $100,000 a week. And the first guy's like, you idiot. We are stuck on an island. It doesn't matter. Money does not matter here, right? There's no commerce. It's just the two of us. Like, that's it. There's no radio. There's no way off this island. Nobody's coming for us. It does not matter how much you make. And the guy says, Look, 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 stop. Listen, man, I told you, I make $100,000 a week and I tithe. My pastor will find us. <laughs> now, the reality is, is that some of you think that. Some of you really think, you're like, yeah, you know what? I'll bet that pastor would go to great lengths to find that phenomenal tither. He really, he really would. And, 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 and because here's the truth. Let me just be honest. Here's the thing. We like to say that the pastor is just all about the money. That the church is just all about the money. Because if I can say, if I can convince myself that the pastor is all about the money and the church is all about the money, then I don't have to have an honest conversation with myself about how often I'm all about my money. I'll just blame it on the pastor and the church, then I'll have to get real about me. Now listen, let me be clear. I want you to understand something. I want more for you than I want from you. Let me explain. Uh, one time I preached a sermon like this on giving, on finances, and I had a, a young man come up to me afterwards, and he said, Kirk, he said, uh, you, you, this this church, you just want my money. You're just after my money. And I told him, I said, no, that's not, it's not what I want at all. And he said, yes, it is. He said, that's all you're after. You just, you just want to tell me that I have to give to you because you want my money. And I, I told him, I said, no, no. I said, listen, I said, I love you because you're a brother in Christ. And what I want for you is obedience. I want you to obey what God said. And he goes, no, you just want my money. And so I said to him, I said, okay. I said, your, your, fear. I said, your, your fear, your reason for maybe not giving is because you're afraid it's just about me wanting your money here at this church. And he said, yeah. And I said, awesome. I have a solution. He said, what's that? I said, here's what I want to challenge you to do. I said, do you believe that scripture teaches that we should be generous and give? And he said, absolutely, of course. And I said, okay. I said, on your way to church today, did you drive by any other churches? He said, oh, yeah, there's a couple of them. I said, sweet, give to them instead of us. He said, what? (laughs) And I said, listen, I don't care where you give. I don't want your money. I don't need your money. God will provide what our church needs from other people then. What I want for you is obedience so you can be on the side of the fence of God's favor so you can begin to experience his blessings that come when you live in obedience. And so I said, listen, if you're afraid that I just want your money, then just tithe to some random church. I don't even care who. Whoever you drive by, pray, ask the Holy Spirit, whatever he says to tithe to, give them your money. And he said, really? I said, yeah, don't send it here. Six months later, he comes up to me and he says, Pastor Kirk, i got to tell you, it's been amazing. I said, what's been amazing? Because I forgot what I told him. And um, (laughs) we talked to a lot of you a lot of different times. And um, uh, which is why half the time I'm guessing your name. So anyways... um, that's not true. I like, I, I, I like you all and I like your names, but there's a lot of names to know. So, anyways, but um, this, and he, and he said, he said, well, I did what you told me to do. And I had to be honest. I was like, I, what did you, what did I tell you to do? <laughs> and he said, you told me not to give here, but to give to another church. And I was like, oh, oh yeah, that's right. I remember that. And I said, well, how's that going for you? And he said, it's been amazing. He said, ever since I've started giving, he said, I've more joy in my life than I've ever had. He said, I feel more comfortable. I feel more confident in my relationship with God. My my study time is better. And he said, I just feel so much better. I said, dude, that's awesome. I'm so glad you're doing that. He goes, no, no, no. I want you to know something else. He said, you challenged me to give someplace else. He goes, I did for three months. And then I realized I love this church and what it's about. I've been giving here. I said, that's sweet. I said, listen, if you ever think I'm about the money again, just give someplace else. I'd rather you be obedient (laughs) than you give to where I'm at, because that's not what it's about. Listen, church, I don't want your money. I want more for you than I want from you. I want you to walk in obedience with God. I want you to understand what life is like when you live on the side of the fence of his favor. That's what I want for you. Now, we've settled the issue of ownership. We're talking about how much do we have to return to him. So let's dive into this a little bit. Malachi chapter three, verse eight, says this. It says, will a man rob God, yet you rob me? But you ask, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings. You're under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you're robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. So you often ask the question, people ask, well, how much do I return to the church? How much am I supposed to give? Now, the typical answer is, comes from here in Malachi. Typical answer is, "Oh, you're supposed to give a tithe. And the word tithe means tenth. And so typically we say, oh, you're supposed to give 10%. Now, I know some people will come to me too after sermons like this and they'll say, Kirk, you talked about tithe. That's Old Testament, right? I'm not an Old Testament guy. I'm New Testament. Old Testament is law. New Testament is freedom and love. Listen, listen, if that is you, awesome. I love that you are a student of God's word, so let's talk about law and love. And I want to ask you, which do you think demands more, the law or love? I'll give you some examples. Old Testament law, it says do not murder. But in the New Testament, under, under love... Jesus says, You've heard the law says don't murder. I tell you, don't even hate your brother. I tell you, don't even become angry with someone. Don't use words that will kill their spirit or value. Let me ask you, which one of those demands more the law or the love? Love. The Old Testament says don't commit adultery. But in the New Testament, Jesus says that you've heard it said, do not commit adultery, but I tell you under love that if you even look lustfully upon a woman, then you have committed adultery in your mind. Church, which demands more, law or love? Love. Old Testament says an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, which means however you hurt me, I get to hurt you back equally. But in the New Testament, it says that we are to pray for those who persecute us, to love our enemies and to serve them. Which demands more, law or love? Love. Love. Are you beginning to see the theme here? In the Old Testament, a lamb was enough for a sacrifice, but in the New Testament, it had to be the Son of God. Which demands more law or love? Love does. Love will always demand more. So let's talk about the New Testament. What does the New Testament say about giving? Matthew chapter 23, verse 23. It says, Woe to you, teachers of law and Pharisees, you hypocrite. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin. In other words, they're tithing off of their resources. But you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. Now, there's a lot to unpack here, but the couple of things that I want to really point out to you from this is, first off, I want you to see that, that what he says. He says, You have neglected the more important matters of the In other words, what's most important is justice, mercy, and faithfulness. It matters, church. It matters how we carry out justice. It matters how we give mercy and show mercy. It matters what our faithfulness is. Those things are more important than what you give. However, he finishes by saying you should have practiced the latter, meaning justice, mercy, and faithfulness, without neglecting the former. All of it's important. We're supposed to be participating in all of this. So let me take you now to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6-7 through 7 says, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or un- under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So first off, this is where we see our harvest economics come up again, right? It says, whoever sows little, remember last week we talked about sow, grow, and harvest? And we talked about sowing is the plowing and planting, and and, and growing is the weeding and waiting, and harvest is the reap and reward. And here it's saying, hey, this is how the economics work. If you only sow a little, right? If you only plow and plant for a little, you're only going to reap a little. It just makes sense. It's not like, like, like if, if you plant two seeds, the most you're going to get back is two, right? Like, like, like it doesn't it doesn't like, hey, I put down two, two seeds and look, I got 27 trees. It doesn't work that way. Eventually over time, because that's how harvesting works, but that'll be a whole different thing. But, but listen, so scripture's saying if you sow little, you reap little. If you sow little, you harvest little. In the same way, if you sow a lot, you'll reap a lot. But, but here's what I want you to see. It also says then that you are to, God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. So what does this tell me? This tells me that your attitude is more important than the amount. Did you get that? Your attitude in giving is more important than the amount that you give. Just remember, he who sows little, who gives little, will reap little, will harvest little. So let me say this. If you're wondering how much you should give, and this is the, oh, you're like, what's he going to say? What's the pastor going to say? How much of my money is he going to take from me? His hand's in my pocket. He's reaching for the wall. Like, this is what we feel. Let me, let me, let me challenge you. Here's, here's what I would say. The best place to start is not with a number, but with a prayer. The best place to start is not with a number, but with a prayer. We get so worked up about the numbers and you'll be in churches where they'll tell you, you have to give this or you have to give that. I've had friends that were in churches that were told that, that there was an amount they had to give or they'd be removed from the church. I had a friend that moved from a church and they, he was told that, well, hey, you have to, you committed, you need to keep giving here uh, for at least X number of months more or for a year long. I forget what it was. So listen, listen, listen. And this is, and I, it drives me nuts when I hear stories like that because I'm like, I get why some of you all are like, you just want my money because there are places and people in churches that that is what they want, right? Okay, I want you to know what I want is for you to walk closer with Jesus than you did yesterday. How you handle your resources and your finances is a part of that because it demonstrates do I trust him enough so when I give, it's me demonstrating trust. How do I know how much to give? I'd rather you pray about it, ask the Holy Spirit, let him lead you to a number, and then you give than you listen to me. Because he's going to know better than I know what you should do. But if you can't do it cheerfully, then you shouldn't give it. Your attitude matters more than the amount. But if you're not praying and asking God what he wants you to give, then you're doing it wrong. Start with a prayer. Let God give you the number. That's how it needs to be done. And then once we do that, then whatever he gives you, whatever that number is, then you bring that to the storehouse, which is the local church. And you give it cheerfully You give it cheerfully because of love, not because of law. Some of us are giving because of law and not because of love, and that's wrong too. When you begin to give out of love, you begin to give cheerfully, and you'll be amazed at how God will bless and use that. And one day you'll look back and you'll be like, I'm giving more than I ever thought I'd give, but God is blessing more than I ever thought He could. That's how it works. So, the third decision then that we have to make once we've settled the first two is when will I return the resources to God? They're his resources. I'm supposed to return an amount I'm going to pray about, but when does it go to him? When do I return it? Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 6 says, Trust the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. We're starting here because it says trust. And, and, And I'll tell you right now that when it comes to giving, it starts with trust. My capacity to give begins with my capacity to trust the Lord and he says trust with all your heart he says in all your ways submit to him not in some of your ways not in most of your ways not in the easiest of ways he says in all your ways submit to him then just a couple of verses later verses 9 and 10 he says honor the lord with your wealth with the first fruit now hold on some of you were like oh phew i'm off the hook i'm not wealthy Like, I, listen, if you want the facts, you can Google it. It'll take you two seconds. But I'll tell you what. If you live in America, you are wealthy. You, most, 99% of Americans have significantly more wealth than 90% of the rest of the world. All right? Now, I get it. Everybody's wealth looks different. And everybody has to answer to God for what they use their wealth for and to do. Okay? But I'm telling you, when it says, honor the Lord with your wealth, guess what? You're not off the hook. <laughs> This is you too. You have wealth. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. Again, last week as we began this harvest economic series, we talked about the book of Leviticus. And it said that when you plant a new tree, when that tree is in its fourth year, which is the first year of its harvest, they told us that that first year of harvest, the fruits were supposed to be whose? God's. This is the idea of first fruits. You give it first. Listen, listen, church. This is so important for us to understand the concept of when do we give. Because what happens so much in giving is that we'll get to Sunday morning and we'll say, well, God, if I had it, I'd give it to you. But that's not true. Because you did have it and you spent it somewhere else. You did have it and you spent it on something else. Because what tends to happen is that we tend to give to God last out of whatever we have left over. This is why it's first fruits. He says, no, you need to give it first. And the reason why this is so important, why is this so important, the law of first fruits? Because God asks for it first because that's his role in our life. Because what tends to happen is if you wait till later, you never have it to give. And his role is supposed to be that he's first in our life. He's supposed to be first. If you're ranking the important things in your life, then God wants to be number one on every single list. He doesn't want to be number two. He doesn't want to be number three. He doesn't want to be number four. He doesn't want to be number five. Listen, God did not send his son to die on a cross for you and me so he could make your top ten list. The reason why we do it first is because that's the order of which his priority is supposed to be in our lives. This brings us to our so what moment. What does this mean? What do we do with this? Where do we go from here? At the end of Proverbs chapter 3 verse 10 that we just read, it said if you do this your barns will be overflowing. That's the fence of God's favor. In Malachi chapter 3, verses 8 through 10 that we read, it says, it says, if you will bring the tithe to the storehouse, if you will bring your tithe to the church, it says, he says he will open up the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessings, you won't know what to do with them. Listen, church, twice in scripture does God ever talk about opening up the floodgates of heaven. Only twice. Here in Malachi, when he talks about the blessings that come when you return back to God, the gifts that he's given to you, the second time that he talks about it is with no with the ark and the rain. When God opened up the floodgates of heaven with rain, it overwhelmed the earth and it flooded the earth. Now imagine the floodgates of heaven when it comes to blessing because we give back to God what is already his. Let me close with this one last story. When I was a college student, I had the privilege of having one of my friend's dads share with me a story that has stuck with me uh, for all of my life. He was talking about his concern for his kids and wanting them to understand the value of hard work, wanting them to understand how to trust God, wanting them to know how to use their finances and that kind of thing. And he told me, he said, Kirk, this will sound funny, but I actually pray that each of my kids spend some time in poverty or at least some time where they have very, very little. I thought, that's a weird prayer. (laughs) I'm praying that my kids have lots and can take me places. Um, That's not true. I just made that up because it's funny. Um, I asked him why he would pray such a prayer. And he said, because the time my wife and I spent in poverty completely formed how we trust or don't trust God. Proceeded to tell me a story. He said, when we first were married, we got pregnant pretty quick. My wife, we had our little daughter, and and, uh, my wife was staying home with her. I was the only one working, and I wasn't making a ton of money. He said, we had, we had kitchen cupboards, but I don't know why, because there's nothing in them. <laughs> he told me legitimately, he said, there would be nights that my wife and I would sit down to eat. We'd open up a can of beans, and we would eat out of the can. That that's what they did for dinner. He said, Kirk, I tell you, man, when I say we had nothing, we had nothing. He would drive to work every day, the only job he could get, but it was 30 minutes away. At this point in time in life, Christian radio had just begun and just started. He said every single day I'd listen to that Christian radio station. It's what kept me going. It's what kept me motivated. It's what allowed me to get through the days and to get through life. And, and it was so important to me. And he said that I'll never forget all of a sudden they had this, this week worth of stuff where they kept, they had their fundraising week. If you listen to Christian radio, you all know what I'm talking about. That's the week where you stop listening to Air One, you start listening to Smile FM. <laughs> And then they have theirs and then you go back. <laughs> you guys know you do it. <laughs> back then there was only one radio station, so he had no choice but to stick with it. <laughs> but he said he would travel every day, listening to this, and every day he was hearing them, you know, trying to raise funds to be able to keep keep the radio station up. And he began to sense that God was telling him, Joe, I want you to give something. So he did what? He prayed. Love it. He prayed and said, God, what do you want me to give? For several days, he began to pray every day while he was listening as he was driving to work. God, what do you want me to give? God, what do you want me to give? The first day, he said, the first moment I began to pray, I felt God gave me a number. I told him it was wrong. Try again. <laughs> he said, I prayed for as many days as I did because I was so sure God was wrong. <laughs> he finally said, Kirk, the number God gave me was $500. And I said, That's stupid God, our bank account's hardly ever been over 100 It's never been over two. There's no way I can pledge $500. And he began to argue with God about this, and finally he gave in. And he said, fine, I can make the pledge. It doesn't mean I have to give it. <laughs> so he wrote up the pledge. He sent it in. He let him know he was going to pledge $500 or called. I don't know how he did it, but he, he let him know he was pledging $500. Gave him his information, and then what happened next was he said about every quarter, every three months, he'd get a letter in the mail that would thank him for his pledge, thank him because so many people were going to hear the gospel of Jesus because of his gift, and then it updated him on where he was at. Pledged 500 $500. Given so far, zero. Three months later, pledged $500. Given so far, zero. He got to the final week of the year, and he was just praying like crazy. Bank account hadn't changed. Still barely ever got over $100. And he said, God, I don't have $500 to give. I don't know what to do. And as he kept praying, he kept sensing the Holy Spirit saying, I want you to give $500. And he argued and argued and argued. And finally he gave in. He wrote a check without telling his wife. Not a good idea. (laughs) Wrote it for $500 and mailed it in. And he immediately thought, that's the dumbest thing I've ever done. I'm going to get a bounce check fee. (laughs) Next day, he goes to work. As soon as he gets at work, his supervisor says to him, hey, Joe, the owner, the boss, he uh, he needs to see you. He immediately stopped thinking about the $500 check because that's not a good sign. The boss, the owner, only sees you if he's about to pink slip you. He immediately began to worry about his job. How was he going to care for his family? How was he going to take care of things? And so he began to pray again as he goes into the boss's, the owner's office and he sits down and the owner takes an envelope and he slides it across to him and he says, Joe, I need you to read this. Joe opens up the envelope, reads the first line. Oh, definitely seems like a pink slip. So we want to thank you for your years of service. Oh boy. The next line though changed a little bit. It said, we've identified you as one of... Our best employees, we want to tell you thank you for all that you've done. In your paycheck today, you'll be receiving a bonus. Can you guess how much the bonus was for? Any guesses? See, that's what you'd think is 500 But we're talking about the floodgates of heaven. The bonus check was for $5,000 Church, I'm telling you, you can't outgive God. You just can't. You can't do it. What God was doing in Joe's life was he was teaching him how to trust. What God was doing in Joe's life, he said, Joe, I'm asking you to give and to trust me. You're just trusting from a resource. I haven't given you the resource from which you're going to give yet, but I want you to do this. Now, church, I'm not telling you. Listen, listen, let me be careful. I do not want everyone to walk out of here and write checks you cannot cash. You hear me? You notice I said he prayed first. You notice I said he heard the Holy Spirit, right? Okay, okay, if you don't hear the Holy Spirit tell you to do it, then don't do it, all right? I don't care if it's to hear, right? You're like, Kirk, I'm going to write a $100,000 check to the church. That would be amazing, but unless the Holy Spirit tells you to do it. And then, and then, and then if you're doing it, like, that would be a million dollars. Like, stop, right? You're like, he got $5,000 for 500. like dollars <laughs> See, some, some of you are like, oh, <laughs> Others of you are like, oh, shoot, that's where I was going. Okay. Uh, It's got to be Holy Spirit prompted. But what I want you to understand is that when your faith and trust is put in the Lord, you cannot outgive God. You just can't. You can't do it. When God asked him to pledge the 500s, like God was saying, hey, I just want you to return a portion of what I've already given to you. Listen, church, to live on this side of the fence of God's favor means you have to trust God enough To love him enough that you say, okay, God, whatever you ask, I'll give. And when you do that, you live on this side of the fence. My invitation to you is to make sure you're living on the side of the fence of God's favor, of God's blessing. And I hope you'll make that decision. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, it's tough to talk about finances. Lord, it's funny, in preparation, I was praying that we would laugh enough that sometimes people would forget what we were talking about. (laughs) Because Lord, I know it's hard to hear this sometimes. Father, I I pray in some ways that our toes were stepped on a little bit. I pray that we might have been moved to say, you know what? Am I honoring God with this and what I'm doing or not? Do I need to make some changes and adjustments? But in the same way, Lord, I hope that people heard, my God loves me so much. He cares what I do with my resources and he wants what's best for me. He wants feasts for me. He wants blessings for me because he cares for me. And so, God, I pray that we'd hear that too. That all that we have is God's that he's given to us. That everything I have is a blessing from him. I'm just returning part of it back. And so God, help us to sit in that truth, that knowledge, that awareness. May we know that we are loved deeply by our Heavenly Father. And it's in Jesus' great and mighty name that we pray. And all God's people said, amen. I'm not afraid of